1: It's November 29th, 1962, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali, The Retrospectors. So until this day, there had been two teams developing supersonic aircraft in Europe, the French and the British. But on this day, the British and the French announced they would be combining resources, not really to kind of build a European dream and work together ebony and ivory, but just because it was costing so much. It had already cost the British 150 million pounds in developing what became known as Concorde.
0: And rather than being a commercial deal, the project was negotiated as an international treaty between France and the UK. This was at the time when the UK was trying to get into the European economic community. And so there was this kind of concept that it was going to be two nations working side by side. And also probably worth noting for the rest of the story is that like a lot of stuff was state-owned that isn't now. Mm. So British Airways are state-owned at the time. So there was a lot more enmeshment between the government and the private sector especially in feels like aviation probably left over from the war i'm just making this up but probably left over from the war is that do that's that's our USP?
1: anyone's come to us from any of the other daily history podcasts there you go (laughs) (laughs) you
0: you get spontaneous made up history here finger in the air stuff
2: (laughs) what's your hunch but what they came up with was an airplane that was notable for two things. One, of course, was that it was technologically superior to everything that had come before insofar as it was faster than all the other commercial jets that had flown. But the other thing that it was, was just massively luxurious. And it's not surprising, I suppose, because it came to be a plane that was used by people who wanted to get places and get places quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, who really needs to shave an hour and a half off their journey to New York, apart from David Frost?
2: (laughs) Yes, yeah. But yeah, but it became known for the celebrities who wrote on it, also because it was very small, you know, it was it actually had this quite dinky little cabin because you know it was very aerodynamically superior, and consequently, it needed to you know be quite narrow. It was quite a thin tube to slice through the air. But but you know, in, inside, even though it was cramped, it was hugely hugely luxurious with the best of everything you could possibly hope for, including like the best food and the best design and the best designed uh, uniforms on the part of the stewards. Inside. Someone's sad they didn't get to go on Concorde, aren't they, Rebecca? Can you hear? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a very
1: well-thought-through fantasy about it all. <laughs>
0: the undoing of Concorde really was that it came about at this sort of crossroads where the US were also working on supersonic planes. And so the leading thought was, like, obviously, this is going to be the next thing because they're much faster. But what actually happened was that no other supersonic passenger planes got made. And at the same time that Concorde was stuck in this sort of 1960s Pan Am fantasy land of, you know, luxury popping champagne or, you know, with all these fancy well-dressed air hostesses milling around you, is that what was actually happening in the rest of the world was that subsonic planes, you know, what we would consider normal passenger jets, were proliferating all over the world. And there was this expectation that air travel would soon be widely available and affordable Mm. for the masses, which was completely at odds with what Concorde was doing. So by being on the cutting edge in the 60s, because the project was so expensive and long-winded, by the time it actually came into operation in the late 70s, the whole economics of aviation had completely changed.
1: Yeah, you mentioned Pan Am. I mean, they had an order for Concorde, you know, as did most other developed nations in the world. And then slowly over time, everyone dropped out apart from those French and British national carriers, and only 16 were built in the end. That's partly because the Americans stopped developing their... Supersonic plane. So, as you mentioned, Rebecca, JFK actually launched a kind of moonshot type pitch, you know, design the next generation. Of supersonic planes to rival what's going on in Britain and France. And the Americans eventually spent $400 million getting a wooden mock up made, but nothing that ever <laughs> flew. Because in the meantime, what happened is the 747 came along from Boeing. It was more economical, it had a longer range, it carried hundreds more passengers.
2: And it turned out that actually, maybe speed isn't as important as the ticket price. Mm. And that was a problem for Concorde from the very beginning. When it first launched in 1976, a round trip cost $1,500. Wow! In 1976 money, that's like 15 million pounds. Yeah, I think that's accurate. <laughs> well, so by the, by the end, it was $12,000 uh, for a seat wow. uh, one way and back.
0: I mean, that's a lot of money to pay for a few extra hours, isn't it?
2: Apparently within Concorde itself, it was incredibly loud, particularly if you were sitting near the twin Rolls-Royce engines that were having raw fuel dumped into them to get you to uh, max speed. It sounds like hell to me, Rebecca. What about you?
0: I, I mean, I absolutely hate flying. Planes are too fast. <laughs> fast for me already. Yeah,
1: you're f- phobic, right? So would yeah. Mach 2 be worse for you? Because it's it's faster, you get there quicker, but it's also louder. And you're trapped in a cubicle with Michael Winner and some British Airways food. <laughs> uh, Is that uh,
0: worse? You've outlined my worst nightmare. <laughs> um, according to some people who flew in it, if you passed over a Boeing, because Concords were travelling at like 60,000 feet, so they were well above all the other planes, but mm. if you travelled over say a Boeing you know, normal plane, it would look like the Boeing was going backwards because the mm. Concorde was going at like a thousand miles per hour there was actually mm-hmm. you're saying arian about um how noisy they were also very they got very hot because of traveling so fast the speed limit was not to do with the power of the plane it was limited by how hot the aluminium fuselage would get and so Bucky. there was this incident where pepsi had purchased a sponsorship deal with Air France in 1996 and part of the deal was that the Concorde would be painted in sort of Pepsi blue but because they had been painted white specifically to keep the temperatures down the plane was unable to fly at maximum speed which obviously was a bit of a you know bit of a damp squib for Pepsi.
1: Well it was actually a piece of metal I don't know if it was a Pepsi can in the end that pierced the tire that caused the Air France crash that sort of presaged the end of Concorde wasn't it which seemed to stagger everybody involved. It was the most tested plane of all time, and it was designed to survive a window being shot out at 50,000 feet. And yet, ultimately, it came undone in this horrific accident that killed everyone on board by a piece of metal on the runway. Mm.
0: Yeah and I mean Concord had been struggling for so long before this this accident happened in the year 2000 and um, the government had already sold their planes to British Airways in 1983 but the one thing that Concord still had going for it, as you say only was this perception that it was incredibly safe you know it wasn't just luxury it was this advanced technology and that it you know it wasn't susceptible to any of the things that would bring down other planes however yeah it was taking off from Paris Charles de Gaulle airport on its way to New York there was some kind of debris on the runway which damaged the tire then pieces of the tire flew up into the plane rupturing the fuel tank damaging the wing and it erupted into a fire it was awful and then so Mm. the plane actually crashed two minutes after leaving the ground it crashed into a hotel so not only were all 109 people on board killed four people in the hotel were killed too
2: you feel that they would have retired these planes anyway just because they were such a money loser and also probably because standards of luxury, which came to be the thing that people were going on Concorde for, were lifted so dramatically in the decades since Concorde first took to the skies.
1: Yeah, I used the word presage deliberately because it wasn't actually the crash that killed Concorde. Concorde was intending to come back. It was then nine eleven that really did for it because... There was a year out of the sky whilst they were attempting to make sure that could never happen again. And then the day that they did their test flight, can you believe, was the 10th of September 2001. And then no one could fly into New York for a time after that. And bizarrely, a lot of the customers for Concorde were killed on 9-11 because they worked in the World Trade Center. And not only the customers who frequently flew Concorde, but also... The managers, you know, you lost the people at all of these corporations based in New York that used to give permission to spend that kind of money on a fast plane ticket.
0: Yeah, because of the shape of the plane and because it had a big fuel capacity, it could seat a maximum of 128 passengers. And, you know, as we have discussed, the prices were incredibly prohibitive. So it was kind of like an exclusive club. It was the same people flying backwards and forwards, which, you know, is actually quite sweet, but it's not really that much of a business model.
1: Nonetheless, I think you have to account for the fact that there was an opportunity there to build a state-subsidised aeroplane company that could genuinely be world-beating. And basically, we flunked it and the French didn't. Like, the French did create Airbus as a direct consequence of building Concorde. Uh, And yet, Mm. Britain doesn't make planes anymore
0: it is kind of mad isn't it to think like in this world where it seems like we're constantly moving forward there was a time 30 years ago where you could fly from New York to London in three hours and you can't do that now mm. you're still on six or seven hours for that kind of a journey we were there and we just don't do it anymore
2: the record flight was apparently two hours 52 minutes and 59 seconds
1: wow so if Titanic was the onboard movie you wouldn't even be able to watch it all although to be honest that would be a poor choice
2: <laughs> of in-flight film <laughs> if Just get Leonardo DiCaprio to to talk you through it because he'd be sitting next to you. (laughs) Tomorrow.
0: I mean, I'm not saying that the Scottish team was unrepresentative, but their captain was Sir James Kirkpatrick.
1: Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.